Hello, everyone, and welcome to ARG Presents. All this and more in This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. All things in moderation. To boldly go where 1978 went before. And if you can't sell it, give it away. All this and more on This Week in Retro. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hi, folks. How you doing? Yeah, good. How you going? I'm going well. Good yourself. Yeah. Uh, we welcome this week uh, a guest, and it is The Brent from ARG. Um, people will be aware, um, in fact, I'm guessing some people won't be aware, that when this show started, we had John Boat of, Call, Boat of Car, Shawler, um, who is one of three people from Hurricane in West Virginia in the United States of America who does uh, the Amigo show. Um, there are two shows on the network. Um, if, you, if you watch two shows, then you'll get them all, but there's loads more shows that uh, Boat and Aaron do together. Um, the other show being ARG Presents. The Amigos, is it Amigos Retro or Amigos Review Group? Amigos Retro Gaming. Mm. Amigos Retro Gaming. I got one of the words right. Um, <laughs> Just the one. ARG Presents, it's, it's actually been my favourite show on the network. It's, um, it's one where you spin a wheel every week and on there there are wheel pieces and each is um, a challenge for you and your brother Aaron to go and do... Uh, games, for example, uh, D-Makes was the one I watched last. Uh, the next one is Dancing Games, I think. You're doing... Um, yes. <laughs> you'll be doing that. By the time this is released, you'll have already done that. So I don't know if you've started dancing yet. <laughs> how I'm long a big you... fellow. So I don't know how many dance moves I'm going to put out there, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> how long is ARG been running now? We are up to episodes two... I want to say 2.30. Wow. Um, John took part with Aaron for the first uh, 15, 16 episodes, and then he his life got too busy, and I kind of stepped in. And I had already, at this point, done some guest appearances on uh, The Amigos. Um, so I kind of fit naturally in, and Aaron and I have a, a good dynamic anyway, that uh, kind of sibling rivalry, mm-hmm. and... Uh, makes for a fun show. Makes for a fun watch. Yeah, well, I feel we've we've had um, we've had John on, we've had Aaron on, so we've had the rest, and now we've got the best. There you go. Nice. <laughs> um, how did um, how did the the, the charity day go? Uh, Amigathon went really well this year. Uh, we were actually free of technical hiccups, which is amazing for our internet provider to last 12 hours <laughs> uh, we ended up raising three thousand eight hundred and thirty dollars for the children's miracle network and that is actually still open for donations if you wanted to go to amigathon.com it redirects you to the extra life page where you can donate yourself and that should be up until about the end of the year yeah um it's an annual thing that you've done for i think five six six years I think it is five years running now. Five years this running. This would have yeah. been our uh, sixth. Yeah. Yeah, I've um, I've watched it for the past few years, and I caught I caught most of it on uh, last week on Saturday. It's, it's a great fun thing, um, yeah. and it's good that you do it for charity. Um, 
so yeah, um, welcome to the show, Brent. Thank you very much for having me. We'll go into housekeeping in a minute. How have you been, Chris? We've not said, oh, I heard a word from you. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Especially when we have a guest, so I don't mind shutting my mouth. It's it's good for me to do occasionally. Um, but no, last week you saw that I had uh, vapor brighted the A1200. Um, this week, thanks to my mate Shane, who kindly recapped just three through-hole capacitors in the floppy drive of this machine. The floppy mm-hmm. drive is now 100% working again. So it's oh, 100% brilliant. working again machine. And that's allowed me to do something I've never done before. One is install Workbench 3 from scratch off of original media. So Marvin Drugsmo got these mm-hmm. off him. Um, install it discs. to hard disk. Yeah. Install it to hard disk from floppy drive. Because yeah. obviously back in the day I had the A500, so you didn't do that. You just booted Workbench yeah. if you wanted Workbench or you just threw that to one side and, yeah. and booted from your games. And then the other thing I was able to do, thanks to a, a wonderful guy called Ryan who sent me a heap of games from the UK uh, a while ago, Hard drive installable, Gloom. So I've got a box copy of Gloom here. So no WHD load, which is what I was using before on the image that came on this machine. Completely vanilla uh, workbench reinstall and then hard drive installable, Gloom, first-person shooter for the Amiga as well. So enjoying experiencing the A1200 for the first time in my life, how it would have came out of the box, I guess. So, yeah, it's an exciting journey. Yeah. It's a funny thing you mentioned that because I think we're going to come on to a, we're going to touch on that a little bit later in the show. I think the whole mm. the proper experience of doing it right. Yeah. Um, now on to housekeeping, and the jingle this week is provided by uh, Matt, who is known as Asnivor. So thank you very much for that. One, one, two, one, two. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago um, that Happy Coding ZX, one of our, our viewers and, uh, and frequent contributors, contributors, and also you'll know Happy Coding as well, Brent, because he's, he's over at Amigos as well. Absolutely. Uh, he's put us in games before. Yeah. Yes. Um, they produced, uh, to help the, 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 the victims of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, um, they produced a, a Midnight Brew charity digital box set. So it's it's some homebrew games put together as five of them, um, minimum of a tenner, and uh, the money hundred percent of the money goes there. Um, so it's coming to an end, but uh, I thought I'd, I thought I'd let people have one last chance at it, and they've raised I think it's just under one thousand five hundred pounds so far. So that's a lot of money to go to a good cause. Link in the show notes if you want to catch the end of that. Um, there is some bonus information now it's not quite a correction Um, there's a bonus information on Neil's story from last week which is on the ST Amiga um, Kickstarter although it's not actually on Kickstarter um, which is the the book uh, that's being done I think it's an Indiegogo one um, on the the, the ST Amiga Flame War which has seen lots and lots of interesting and thought provoking (laughs) uh, comments uh, on uh, the YouTube video and also in in Reddit from uh, some some very wise people, um, but 
one of the authors has has corrected uh, Neil on what he said. So I'll just read out the comment. Hello, everyone. I am the initiator of the ST Amiga project. Just to make things clear, this is a microsite book in cooperation with Edition 64K and not the other way around. So I think what Neil's doing there is giving Amiga all the credit for something that was done first on the Atari ST. Um <laughs> as per usual now to just compare a logo it doesn't look similar and it's not like neil suspect the book is instead led by a publisher who's released three publications on the atari demo scene yeah um <laughs> we're building a team of professional journalists and dedicated guest authors and making a fact-based argument i worked for a technology magazine for several years after all the project happens in collaboration because we can free up more expertise and resources in both 16-bit camps. It won't be black and white, but it won't be wishy-washy either. Nevertheless, it will be an exciting tour de force through numerous confrontations of the time, many of them previously unpublished. David Pleasance has also assured me that his story is new to the public. We will also expose secret business sale aspects and report on them exclusively. That's a bit I'm interested in. Mm. In addition, we will also offer practical experiences that have uh, lasted until today. We look forward to your comments. Many of the current ones confirm our opinions that we have tackled the right topic. <laughs> As the project leader, I would like to also like to add that each of my crowdfunding books has so far stayed on schedule. Empty promises and sending backers off with goodies that do not exist. Uh, yeah, do not exist at Microsite Publishing Good. Check back soon on the Indiegogo page as our creative team grows daily. We will be portraying this story along with many industry leaders. So the more I read about this, the more the, the more um, I'm glad I'm backing it. Uh, I think mm. it's going to be a, a good book. So good luck to them on their, their campaign. Again, link in show notes. And uh, we also have um, a couple of new patrons. Um, we have um, Vile Disgorgement. Uh, so welcome to being a patron, Vile Disgorgement. I'm not sure if that's your, your real name or not. Um, and we also have um, we also have someone who has sent specific instructions on how their name is to be read out. So Nick Daniels, welcome, says... Um, when you read my name on the show, that's Nick Tie Fighter Mouse Ace Daniels to you folks. So this is referring back to when I talked about Tie Fighter, and I mistakenly said, thanks to what the box said, you couldn't play Tie Fighter with a mouse. And I, ha I, I have been thinking about that. I, I wonder if it's you can't play Tie Fighter with a ball mouse, but on a, on a on a laser mouse, maybe it's maybe it's possible. I, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it, it's easier on a laser mouse. I Why don't know. That make but anyway, I don't know. <laughs> well. It, have you ever gone back to using an old Amiga oh, yeah, or Atari tank about, mouse? Uh, yeah, and you've got the giant movements you need to do to do anything. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm wondering, maybe, maybe me thinking because when I played X Wing, mm. I, I played X Wing with a mouse first of all. And that's what made me buy an analog joystick. I mean, the mouse it was rotten. But when yeah, X Wing came out in the early '90s, I wouldn't be using a laser mouse. I'd be using. I, I see a laser mouse. It's just an optical mouse. It's not a laser. It's mm. a light, um, an LED. I'd be using a ball mouse. So that's maybe why I couldn't get it done. I, I don't know. It's just an maybe, idea. Maybe. Um, so thank you very much for joining um, our uh, Patreons, uh, pa patrons on Patreon. Uh, if you do want to help, if you do want to contribute, then www.patreon.com/slash This Week in Retro. 
Now let's go on with the show. Chris. Well, yeah, me up first. Uh, Goldeneye is, of course, is in many gamers' minds at the moment, uh, both new and old, due to recent ports on the Switch and the Xbox. And it's kind of reignited debates about old versus new and how some games don't really hold up unless you can kind of immerse yourself in the context of the period that it was released in. Um, I actually don't like to talk about Goldeneye anymore because um, somehow Neil beat me when I visited the cave last year. Um, he cheats. Well, I, well, look, let me. This is my excuse, right? I was out of ammo and I felt bad about slip slapping Neil when he was dressed as a woman. Well, he was he was he was playing as Natalia, is what I mean. So, ah, okay, know. I thought yeah, you yeah. meaning before you played the game. It's just just not well, maybe, but um, it's just not right running around slapping women. So you know, in, 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 even in a game, it feels wrong. So you're out of ammo. He's gonna beat me. Um, but did you guys first of all, before we get into the main crutch of this story, did you guys play Goldeneye back in the day? Is that a silly question? Uh, and also, have you played any of the new ports? I absolutely, absolutely played this back in the day. Uh, this was one of my go-to college games. And at the time, I lived in a fraternity house. So there was always a multiplayer match going on. Uh, it was also one of those games where we went through and did all the time trials uh, to their full completion and uh, just played it and played it and played it. I, on the other hand, I've never played it. Um, it, um, it I, I'm not a console gamer. I've, I've hardly played any console games at all. But I always thought when I, when I saw people talking about it, I thought it's fantastic people having fun playing it but this is almost them catching up on pc gaming yeah to a point yeah i think the big thing that made it so social was the four player split screen you know that kind of changed it whereas with pc you kind of needed the network but anyway dr local has linked us to a story on forbes by mitch wallace which uses discussion about how well goldeneye holds up in the modern day as a segue into a deeper topic about nostalgia and depression so Mitch actually Yay. raises, yeah, 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 let's discuss that. Uh, but look, it's, it's a good topic, actually. So Mitch raises some good points about nostalgia, and he shares his own personal journey of having to jump off the treadmill, as he puts it, as he found the obsession with the past was actually becoming unhealthy for him. And I need to say that, for him. Um, he makes a very poignant quote from Healthline that says, Longing for the past, something you can't reclaim, can fuel dissatisfaction with the present. Uh, nostalgic depression, then, can describe a yearning coloured with deeper tones of hopelessness or despair. So it is a serious topic. And, uh, you know, like anything, some people are more susceptible than others. You know, not every drinker is an alcoholic, for example. Um, so, guys, what are your thoughts on this? Um, but also, you know, what are also the positives of the hobby that we're in, just to balance it out? Brent? And obviously, anything can be taken into excess, right? And you can obsess to things to the point where it's unhealthy. And this isn't just something, obviously, locked to nostalgia. Uh, personally, since he even mentioned GoldenEye in the article, uh, GoldenEye is a game that I don't go back and play because I know I can't relive the experiences that I had when I played it the first time. I played it with a group of people. Uh, there was always four controllers plugged in, always four people going head to head. And if I went back to try to relive that experience, it's not going to be the same. And I don't want to spoil that memory. Um, however, nostalgia really, in my mind, there's, there's two forms of it. If you are trying to relive the moment, right? You're trying to relive that part of the past, 
that can get unhealthy. Uh, it, it's, it's fine to look fondly back onto it and say, oh, these were really good times. But when you obsess to it to thinking, this has to be, I have to get this or that so I can feel like I did back then. That, that's, you can't do it that way. There, there's, there's no satisfaction at the end of that. Um, I know for myself, when I go back and play these nostalgic games, I look at them from a different lens, right? I actually separate the experience I had when I played it the first time and try to look at it through new, more mature eyes to get something new out of it. Uh, you know, we all have a base point with gaming. The first game we ever played, that kind of sets the tone for the rest of our gaming lives. And if you can go back and look at that first base point and see the progression, you can actually begin to appreciate modern gaming a little bit more in my eyes. But if you're going back to try to capture the past, try to capture that moment, it can seriously be unhealthy. Dave, what's your opinion on it? So I, I do understand what he's talking about. Um, I, I, I have to agree that nostalgia isn't always healthy. But I do think it's healthy for us, and I think it's healthy certainly for me, the, the way I do it. Um, I, I know Neil and I that have talked in the past on this, not in the, not in the podcast, but we've talked in the past about how Neil said you're reaching for a point in our past which is a safe, happy place, and I think you're trying to travel there. And I guess there's there's some good to that. There's there's potential for it being so bad. Um, so I understand why that could be a a, a bad thing. But I, I think for me in the in the whole, it's not it's not a bad thing. I think it's it's a good thing. And we are talking about mental health here. So I'll say the words mental health and talk about my own here. Um, there's lots of reasons I, I like retro, and I, I'm not going to list them all, but one of the reasons is reaching back to the ways that I did things in the past that made me a happier and more fulfilled person. I find that a lot of the leisure activities that we do and the way I live my life isn't good for me. Um, modern gaming, for example, is bad in, in many ways. Older games, for example, are more peaceful. They're not trying psychological dark arts. And I do mean psychological. I mean, the way that, that um, microtransactions and in-game purchases and mobile games are designed, they're designed to, to, to manipulate you into spending more money. And I, don't, I just don't enjoy uh, a game where you're battling against that. So I like a, I like a, a game where you've got the game and that's it there's no link to you to, to pay them more money um so i like that uh it can be the same with anything that works on the freemium business model you're not a customer you're a target for advertising and repeated purchases so i do like to go back to that um but i, I want to get myself back to a, pl a place where i can sit and peacefully read books play games instead of the modern way of doing almost several things at the same time um, with my attention going everywhere. And I, so I'm looking to, I'm not looking to relive the past. I'm looking just to do activities and habits that I know in the past were good for me. I'm not looking to be what I was in the past. I'm just looking to do the same activities and get the same kind of, of healthy enjoyment out of it. Um, so taking it back to the original thing that Chris started, I, I like the immersion of um, going back to original games, I like having the, the physical game in the box and the manual to hold in my hand, having a CRT, the real keyboard. But I think more importantly, it's my attention span that I need to get fixed in. It's sitting down to play a game without thinking about the other million and one things that I should be doing instead. Uh, my friend Andrew just a few days ago said the same thing to me. And he said, uh, he's talking about when he sits down to do something, he's thinking, I really should be tidying the garage. 
and it's those thoughts you have that, that aren't that they're not helpful and it, it's just part of being an adult and i think lots of people have them and it's how do you slice two or three hours off and say i'm going to have those two or three hours and not think about anything else and enjoy them and then afterwards i'll feel good about going to do other tasks i need to do um and there's something else i remember it, it's it's over 30 years ago, I used to read Dragon Magazine, which I mentioned before in the podcast. It's, 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 uh, it was from TSR, the people that ran Dungeons & Dragons, and it was the official Dungeons & Dragons magazine. And there was a monthly cartoon, and a full-page cartoon was an adventure. I think it's a Snarf Quest, I think. And one of the, one of the months, there wasn't the full-page um, cartoon adventure. It was just one image that the, the, the artist had drawn, and it was a, a sea or a lakefront somewhere. I should really go back and find this exact Dominican because it, the, the the memory of it might have changed over the years, but it was a sea or a lakefront with snow on it, and the caption was snow on the beach. And the, what he was asserting there was spent too much time doing the things he needs to do, so when he finally gets to where he wants to be, it's too late. And I always, I, I've remembered that ever since. And every every time I, I, I see myself at, at half past nine at night thinking, I want to do something nice tonight after working and do all the things I need to do, I'm always thinking snow on the beach. It's too late, snow on the beach. So, yeah, um, I, um, yeah, I, I, I for, for me, nost- the nostalgia and, and retro gaming and so on, partly that is about going back and doing things in a healthier way. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, it's interesting that you used um, GoldenEye as a segue into this, actually, because it is one of those games that, it similar to yourself, Brent, I've got fantastic memories of playing GoldenEye against my, what is now my wife? Well, no, she was at the time as well, actually. Yeah, yeah, she was. Um, and a housemate that we had as well. Um, but um, now when you play it, it's one of those games that, well, first and foremost, you have to have a CRT, and I'm not precious about CRTs, but if you play GoldenEye on an N64 on a flat panel, it looks hideous i think it's just one of those games that just doesn't work and then you've got the how did i actually get on with this three-handled controller back then do you know what i mean so i think yeah exactly so i think maybe these modern ports are actually a good fix for for some of those issues so at least you can have flat plate on a modern screen and possibly with a modern controller as well um but yeah on this topic of you know nostalgia and why we're into it and what it you know, can do to people. Um, for me, my collecting, I've said this over and over again, is nostalgia fueled. And when I first got back into most of this, it was really exciting. It was, it all started with the Batman pack for me and just needing to have one again. And when I got that, I seriously felt like I was back in 1989 and all that excitement. And, you know, I had to wait for a year to collect it as well because it was on the other side of the globe. It was fantastic. And it was like a real rush of emotion that I'd, I'd never really had before. Let's call it a midlife, mid-life crisis because that's probably what it was. But as I went on with my How's your car? Uh, which one? <laughs> Is your car a midlife crisis? I've actually, which one? Seriously. <laughs> which one? Yeah. Have you the, bought another one? The, well, I've got the Porsche in the garage. I've had that for ages. Um, and that's just going to die with me. That's going to, yeah, that's my forever car. The Alpha, funnily enough, we haven't had an Alpha update for a while. I actually put that on the market today, <laughs> along right. with another car I've got, which is just an Astra, a cheap Astra. Why are we talking about cars suddenly, Dave? But anyway, um, I said to myself, <laughs> I'll, put them, crisis. I'll put them both on the market, and whichever one sells first, I'll keep the other one. 
I sold the Astra today, but somebody's looking to look at the coming to look at the Alpha tomorrow. Anyway, that's a massive segue. So I might lose both, but never mind. Um, first world problems. But no, in terms of my collecting, it is still nostalgia based, and I am still trying to recollect it. But I think I've recognised in myself that I was going down, and I'm a fairly well balanced individual, but I was potentially going down this this rabbit hole of trying to relive the actual past itself. And you have to come to a point of recognizing you literally can't do that. Um, and you have to be honest with yourself. And what I found for me is I don't need to jump off this treadmill. I just need to be back in it for the right reasons. Do you know what I mean? And and actually, my collecting slowed right down as a result of, of that recognition as well. I don't need this stuff. I would like it when it comes up at a decent price. And that's a great place to be because you don't spend too much money on eBay. Um, so yeah, early recognition of the problem for myself and... Um, so, so now I think, you know, where I'm in it is I think I can recognize that I can pick up some of the dreams that I had as like a teenager and now is the time to make them happen. Like you're saying, Dave, you know, it's, it's, it's almost too late, but for certain things you can go, okay, well, back in the day, I really liked the idea of, and I had some game ideas. I would like to, you know, make games on the spectrum and then the Amiga after that. And even though now it's just a hobby, it's not going to make me any money. I could actually realize those dreams and it's easier now because A, you've got the tools and B, you've got a lot more places to look for the help that you need. And maybe I think now we recognize that if you can't do it all yourself, it's actually absolutely fine to form a team and get the job done that way, you know, if you can get people behind your vision. So for me, that's why I'm in it now is to um, not to try and relive the past, but to take where I am now to form the future. Um, yeah, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's the whole. The, yeah, I think if you're trying to relive the past, trying to be in the past, that's where the mm. that's where the problem is. But if you're saying, well, like, like me, if you're saying I, I enjoy losing myself for two yeah. or three hours and really getting in, right into a game, then I, I I don't see why that's not healthy. Um, yeah. it's no different than sitting down to watch a film. I I go to the cinema once a week, um, almost every week. I go to the cinema, and for two hours, I don't think about anything else, and it has a huge positive impact on me. Just yeah. taking myself out of things for a couple of hours. Nice. Absolutely. Nice. And I think now I'm actually enjoying playing some of the games that I didn't have back in the day. And that's completely opposite as well. But, you know, for our listeners, if any of our listeners do struggle with depression, nostalgia driven or otherwise, seriously, do reach out either to a healthcare professional or professional services in your country. You know, there's no stigma attached to it. Just look after yourselves, guys. Um, we'll put links in the show notes. I think it's a responsible thing to do whenever this, these kind of topics arise, just for the UK, Australia and the USA. Um, but obviously look up the services in your country. Um, yep, yep, get on with it. But yeah, to put a positive spin on it for myself, it's a wake-up cure, an opportunity to relive those dreams, make the dreams happen. Let's get on and make some games for the Spectrum and the Amiga. Um, so yeah, using my love of the past to create my future. At the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with collecting or retro gaming, all things in moderation. We are sponsored, thank you very much, to Pixel Addict magazine, uh, Britain's best-selling digital culture magazine. Um, we've, I, I've got an advanced copy of the one that's due to be released this week, so I think by the time this, this episode of This Week in Retro is released, then the magazine should be available or should be on its way to subscribers. And it's there... I really, I really like the RPG cover, but this one might even be better. It's got a dinosaur on it. I Ooh. like dinosaurs. 
He's got a great big Tyrannosaurus Rex, and he is chewing the logo for Silicon Graphics. So it's a, it, the, the, this one looks to be a, 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 um, a special on Silicon Graphics. Uh, they were, um, I don't know a great deal about them, but I think they were the kind of the giants that came in maybe after the Amiga was used for uh, graphics work. They, they, they came in with their really uh, heavy metal workstations with loads and loads of stuff on them. Um, looking through it quite I've not read the magazine I'm scanning through it there's something on ST Amiga format which is the I think maybe Amiga fans won't Amiga fans tend to be a little bit younger um, they tend to have come in maybe a year or two afterwards and people may not be aware that, that, that there used to be the magazine Amiga format mm. and the magazine ST format started out together it did. Uh, as ST Amiga format and then uh, the Amiga part they, they, they kicked those people off the magazine and said look get out of our glorious magazine you'll have to make your own so that's where Amiga format came from so there's something on, on that there uh, the zip drives my friend Chrissy will love zip drives but yeah we'll talk about it more um, I guess in the coming weeks as we go over the magazine but um, amazing front cover with a big dinosaur so pixel.addict.media or your local uh, news agent where you can buy a copy, you can subscribe, you can get it delivered, or you can have PDF to read on whatever you like. So thank you very much, Pixel Addict, for sponsoring us. I love finding out about computer gaming before I started playing games, and especially games where they feel lost and forgotten. There's almost a feeling of kind of archaeology about it. Um, and I particularly enjoy when I find the roots and seeds of games that I enjoyed playing, finding those kind of hidden seeds and roots years and years before it. So I wasn't, for example, surprised to find that text adventures go back decades. Um, and we've talked about very old RPGs, and they also go back almost the same length of time. But one thing that I keep finding that existed in the 70s that I can't remember discussing is Star Trek games. Now, there are dozens and dozens and dozens over the years dating back to the early 70s and I guess it, it, it makes sense because Star Trek was a cultural phenomenon in the late 60s um, all of a sudden um, sci-fi programs like that went from nowhere to existing and then we've always kind of had those kind of things since um, so my story this week was submitted to the subreddit by bad 1080 and it's about a remake of a text-based Star Trek game from what the story says 1978 called Super Star Trek now I think most people will have heard about rogue like games so that's games where usually everything is randomly and procedurally generated and you can play an infinite amount of times and everything will be different and um, the challenge is, is to beat the game rather than exploring and finding things out um, about one particular story uh, in fact, some of them now create their own story every time you play them. Uh, but Star Trek games are probably in their own but similar genre. Um, generally, you'll be in command of the Enterprise and you'll go out to explore, gather resources, fight usually the Klingons, repay yourself and then continue on. Now, I've not played Super Star Trek itself, the 1978 game, but I have played DOS-based Star Trek games which are similar. And this one had... This one has had a new interface added. Uh, Emmanuel Bolognese has taken some of the interface from a point-and-click game, um, Star Trek 25th Anniversary from 1991, and used that as the interface instead of the text 
base interface from the 1978 game. It's a clever way to refresh an old game and it'll maybe make it a bit more accessible. Um, although saying that, it's not like a 1991 game could be described as modern. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's a long time ago as well. Um, so Chris, without telling us lies about the theme tune for Star Trek being played on a theremin, um, have you ever played a game about Star Trek? I'm never going to live that down. Um, no, <laughs> I, I don't. Not for any length of time worth mentioning anyway, and I can't remember what game it even was. I'm pretty sure it was on my Pentium build, so if that puts it in time context for anybody, let me know. But seriously, I think it's one that I tried. Maybe even bit of cover disc CD demo or something. It was I didn't get into it. Um, but it's certainly been the inspiration behind some of the games I've enjoyed playing. And when I say that, I don't mean necessarily for the developers, but the what's in the back of my head is you know, in some of these games, you can't help but think of boldly going where no man has gone mm. before. And, and the kind of games mm. I'm talking about are things like Frontier Elite 2, um, Frontier First Encounters, Elite Dangerous, you know, a lot more recently, and No Man's Sky, even more recently than that. And actually, there was one, going back to the Pentium area. Um, do you remember 3000 AD? 3000, uh, oh. no, three th- Battle Cruiser, 3000 AD. Ah. So it was kind of like Elite, but you had a bigger ship, like a mother ship, and you had fighters that could drop out of it, and you had to manage the team yeah. inside the ship and stuff that like was that. A, that. That felt a bit Battlestar Galactica inspiring. It actually did, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, certainly sort of in the back of my mind, it's always been a a thing. Funny enough, I was always growing up, I was always more of a Star Wars fan and a bit like Amiga versus ST. In the playground, it was either you couldn't like both. You had to like Star Wars or Star Trek. You weren't allowed to like both. Um, Which is nonsense. I know it is. As an adult, you're like, what? (laughs) And and this is the funny thing. So basically one of my mates in my friendship group, this is through college now, he was actually quite an annoying Trekkie. Is that the right term? Because I know there's trekkers and there's trekkies. One of the the kind of guy that would spot if somebody had the wrong number of pips in a certain episode on their collar. I don't know <laughs> what you would call that, but anyway. And so I actually found him annoying. I found those conversations. It was a great friend, other than this, and therefore I kind of rebelled against ever watching Star Trek. And it was Next Gem that they were into at the time. Whereas now, because you can stream them all online or whatever. I've been through the whole of Next Gen. Absolutely loved it. Hated the last episode because the sudden realization it was over. And now we've been very, very melancholy. Yeah, yeah it is. And we're now we're now binging DS9, and we're onto the final season of that. And pretty soon we'll be on the final. I didn't. I didn't know that. that. Well. I, I, I've done the same. I, I sat mm. and watched through. I sat and watched through the Next Generation, mm. and then when when Deep Space Nine started, I started watching them in, in order. Yeah. And now I'm watching, um, I've, I've taken breaks. I mean, I'm taking breaks up to six months at a time from it, but I've been watching Deep Space Nine as well as Voyager and Space and those in in, nice. in broadcast order and the films as well as they come out. And I'm, I, I, to be honest, I'm enjoying them more than I have mm. the, the, the once or twice I've seen them before. Um, I, I wonder if it links back to the, to what we're talking about in the first story today, it talks about the way that we consume things. I feel like I can sit down and watch an episode of that and and get my get what I'm expecting from 40 minutes, whereas it's not quite the same with modern telly. But anyway, yeah. on a bit of a distraction, Brent, what about you? <laughs> well, the original Star Trek was out before I was born, and I didn't get to experience it at the time. Uh, are, are you I saying that as up. if it wasn't out before we were born? <laughs> well, <laughs> I grew up with Next Generation. That's when I, I really yeah. I started watching Star Trek. And it had its fair share of games that I just, I never felt drawn to play. Um, but most of them were your 
your text adventures or your story adventures, which made sense with the context of the show. Uh, I too, I, I played Elite Dangerous, uh, and even more modern than that, uh, Star Trek Bridge Crew, which is a VR game where you you get to set in the chairs of all the ships and or in engineering or over in weapons, and you get that more of a feel of it, you know, actually being there. And it's an interesting game. It's more of an experience than a game. Uh, but it it's absolutely fun to play with uh, multiple people. But my biggest problem with a lot of the Star Trek games, especially your old text adventures, and this isn't just with Star Trek, it's with all text adventures, I have a really bad focus problem when it comes to reading. And I usually have to read things two or three times to pick up on the uh, the, the concepts that it's putting down. So I just avoid text adventures like The Plague, but putting a more modern interface, making it more like a uh, Maniac Mansion type style interface, I can see myself going back and enjoying those games. And I think it would make it a lot more accessible to a lot of people. So that's incredible that they're able to do that. Um, Well, this game stood out for me for one big coincidental reason. And it's last week I have started playing Star Trek 25th Anniversary for the very first time. That's the point-and-click adventure game that this was that, that they took the interface from. Um, and it really is a coincidence. It, it passed me by at the time. It came out in 1991, so it came out before I got a PC. And I think when I got a PC, I, I, I was straight into Ultima 7 uh, and Frontier and so on. I, I didn't. I didn't look back at all the games that came before it, so it, it passed me by, and I never got round to it, but it was one that I did intend to come back to. But Happy Coding ZX, who I mentioned earlier on, uh, long-time listeners, also of Amigos, Brent, you'll know him, as he said before, invited me to come on with one of his friends, and together we hope to solve... The game is actually intended to be the fourth season of the original Star Trek, so you, you, each each mini episode, it's a bit unlike a normal point of like adventure where mostly it's one continuous thing. It seems to be episodic. So we've done one so far. We did one last last week, and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, and this links in with the first story. It meant I sat down for two hours, and this is all I thought about. I didn't think to myself, I need to do this. I need to do something else. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So we're going to do that every week. He's going to, I think, stream it on Twitch. He's got a Twitch channel, and he's going to stream it on Twitch. So if if you if you look out at nine p.m. GMT, you might be able to catch me on Twitch um, doing that, struggling with it. But between the three of us, we managed to get through the first one without having to look up any spoilers. So um, I enjoyed that. Um, now, I did also do a bit more digging. And while this game is based on a 1978 version of Super Star Trek, it goes back further. So the game started on the Sigma 7 mainframe as 1971, as just called Star Trek, as a clone of a 1962 game called Space Wars. So 1962, 1962, yeah, really, 1962 games. And it was then upgraded in 1974 and changed the name to Super Star Trek on the Data General Nova. These are mainframes again. So apparently this game was spreading through all the mainframes around. It was everywhere. Sound very much like... Um, Colossal Cave Adventure, that same same thing that happened there in Zork. They were on mainframes and spreading around before people had the ability to come home and play it. So I think you maybe had arcades and you had mainframes before you had the, the real chance to come, to come home and play it on your home computer. 
And then um, in 1978, it was ported to DOS Basic, which, which, which is what this version, as far as I can determine, is based on. Now, later versions happened after this, where they added more to it, they added more complexity or different interfaces. Commercial versions were done. Um, so Apple Trek, Stellar Trek, Trek 80, Starfleet 1. And it turns out that I found the name for the game that I remember playing, which is nice and neat for me, because usually I end up end up not being able to find out the name of the game I played or what quite what it was. But I found out that I played EGA Trek, which is an EGA kind of pseudo-graphical interface to replace the text one. Text one. So I, I have actually played more or less this game. Quite enjoyable. It's not There's not a lot of plot to it, but it, it's for some reason I kept playing for ages. But we have a 1962 game, a clone in 1971, an upgrade in 1974, a port in 1978 on one side, and then on the other side of the coin, you have a 1991 game all coming together in 2023. So that's a 60-year journey, which is nearly as old as Chris looks. Oh! Now, <laughs> oh. I, think, <laughs> I think this is a forgotten genre of games because I don't think people talk about this type of game where we still talk about text adventures, we still talk about roguelike games, but we don't talk about this type of game. So I think it's a bit of a forgotten genre of games. Probably there's people out playing. There must be people out playing it, but it doesn't seem to get talked about. So this will perhaps raise awareness and give people an opportunity to play this type of game and try it out for themselves. I think most listeners have cottoned on to the fact that we actually try and avoid the more controversial topics on here. Uh, we like to actually focus on positive stories and we'll shamelessly dodge negative ones. So sorry if you've ever posted them in the in the subreddit. <laughs> that's why they don't make it on. And I think that's healthy. Um, copyright stories in particular, they're just a minefield of personal opinion versus unavoidable legal fact. And it's a dangerous ground. Um but one such story just got interesting. So Grey Fox Books were looking, um, they were working, sorry, on a book to celebrate the Sega Mega Drive. Uh, Brent, that's Genesis in your language. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good resist. Um, and Sega has reportedly, again, choosing my words carefully, they've reportedly issued a cease and desist notice on the project. Um, which, you know, whether we agree or not, they're actually entitled to do that. So, well, Grey Fox Books have halted the very idea of making any money from the book, and instead, they've made it available to download for free. So, before we discuss this, guys, okay, let's be clear, none of us are legal experts, okay? I have to be across copyright as part of my job. There's actually a copyright advisor is one of the, the staff that I manage, and even I'm not willing to discuss the ins and outs of this. Um, and even if this move to make it free is even legal in itself, not even going to go there, not going to touch it. Another guess I think Duncan may think twice about whether he, on the YouTube version of the podcast, he will usually do a scroll of whatever relevant website or book or PDF, whatever. He may be thinking twice about if he's going to do that because we'd hate to see an episode get taken down. That's what I'm you know, getting at there. So let's just discuss the book because guess what? We can all see it for free. So that's fantastic. It's a free PDF download from Grade Books. Will we go to Grade jail for books seeing it for free, Chris? Is that what yes. you're saying? If if Sega <laughs> if Sega issue a cease and desist to us, they they can erase our brains so that we have no memory <laughs> of ever be, ever seeing this, and they can pluck our eyes. How out. will I we think, know if our brains been erased? What they can do. Well, we won't know. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, but they'll pluck our eyes out so that we can't do it again. So that's the downside. Okay. Anyway, that's fair. 
So we can download it. PDFs are free from grayfoxbooks.com. What do you guys think of it, Brent? Uh, I, you can't just run past the copyright thing. I've got to say one thing. Copyright is so confusing to your normal, everyday person. And in my job, I, I do design, and I, I can't go out there and use copyrighted stuff, right? Uh, so I'm supposed to know all the ins and outs of it. You can't. It's just too complicated. And if you think you know it, you don't, unless that is literally your everyday job. But on to the book itself. Uh, massive respects to Darren Doyle. Uh, obviously, this book was a extreme labor of love. I had a few moments to sit down and flip through it, and it's it's beautifully designed. Um, and they really went in and had good colors, good backgrounds, and it it's your standard picture book fair, right? Your big coffee book table type affair where you've got these large pictures and, and they're so big, they're pixelated because that's how they were. But that's such a beautiful style. I always enjoy it. And on top of that, they, they go into a little review of each game that they touch on. And they have some segments uh, on Streets of Rage and Core Design and all the different consoles, the Genesis Mega Drives out there. And they do a bit of a deep dive on them. And it's so uh, enjoyable to read. Uh, I would have never have found this else you know without being on this show i would have never stumbled upon that link just because my history wasn't with the genesis the mega drive um and i'm i feel so lucky to have come across it it's such a beautiful book definitely worth grabbing while you can i really don't like that this has happened but i'm not a lawyer i'm not i'm not giving an opinion on on whether it's the whether it's right or not, um, I'll certainly say that I don't know that Sega are doing the right thing here, but I also don't know that the publisher was doing the right thing either. I I don't know. Um, I've seen people talking about talking about that, the, the, alleging that that uh, or suspecting that Sega are. I'll even pronounce it as Sega today because we're being a bit serious, not Sega, to wind people up. Um, that they're abusing a position of power because they know people can't afford the resources to fight it. But that's not a qualified opinion. I, I don't know that. I don't know. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Um, and I, I do admire their decision to publish it for free instead of selling it rather than just binning it completely. And I, I hope and I wonder if that will be a path to people buying the other books because I certainly will be having a look through it um, I've mentioned before, I've got a, a nice big 24-inch touchscreen all-in-one computer that I use for reading magazines, and I think this will be great to look at on that. So I've got it downloaded. I'll put it across to that and have a look. The Mega Drive itself, though, I, I've never used one. But of all the con I'm not a console person, but of all the consoles that I hear people talking about, it's the Sega Mega Drive that we keep coming back to as one of the ones kind of if if I'm gonna if I'm gonna catch up on one console, it should be this one. It looks as if the Sega Mega Drive picked up more of the legacy of 16-bit games than any other console did. Um, we talked last week about Golden Axe, for example. That's that's something I'm going to have to play on it. And there's, I know there's a couple of D&G games. Um, so the Sega Mega Drive is quite interesting to me. So I'll, I'll have to sit this down and have a proper read. And um, I, I promise that if I enjoy the book, I will buy their other books. And that will maybe maybe make everything right in the world. I was I had the SNES back in the day rather than Mega Drive, but I think we've mentioned that before. But um, my one of my friends, Sean, had the Mega Drive, so I certainly played quite a few games on there um an interesting timing actually my mate shane same guy that fixed the floppy drive on my a1200 
Let me this. Everyone's this, called Shane. Everyone's called Shane in Australia. But Shane. Very cheap looking arcade stick. So it's just called a retro game arcade. 145 games in one. Um, but they're all Mega Drive ports, funnily enough. So things like Street Fighter 2, Raiden, all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so ha- have fun this week getting into that. But the, this book itself, the PDF book, nearly 300 pages um, That when I looked up at the page count. So that's a lot of content. And like you said, Brent, really nice ca- colorful page layouts. And what I love with books like this, similar to the bitmap books, you know, it's a similar style to the bitmap books. And I've got the Amiga Visual Compendium, the Spectrum Visual Compendium. And reading the backgrounds to some of the games that they cover, that's great. But I just love flicking through. I'm a very visual person and just getting reminded of screenshots or box art or poster art and stuff like that. And just scrolling through the PDF of this stuff that hit me, Alien 3, even though I played that on the Game Gear, I mean, it's a very similar game across all ports and a great game. So again, you, you see that screenshot and you, you or, or the poster and you just, you're right back there. Ghouls and Ghosts, which is, pr- I'm pretty sure one of the ones I played on my mate's Mega Drive, Sean's. Same with Golden Axe. Mortal Kombat, definitely played that on both the Mega Drive and the SNES. And, of course, OutRun. Fatality. I mean, fatality. Um, I could never pull those off. Don't don't even go there. still taunts me. Um, but Brent can. Brent, Brent's the oh, master. Is he the master at fatalities? I, I grew up in arcades. So no, who, who those, won those the Mortal my, Kombat? Those Com- are my games. Who won Mortal Kombat on the, the Megathon? Uh, he, the betted game. That was Aaron. Of course... Mortal Kombat's a much different game when you have one button. It's it's funny, isn't it? So Mortal Kombat, we're going back into nostalgia now. As soon as anybody says Mortal Kombat, in fact, it was me in this occasion I brought it up, but I'm taken to a pub, Old West Station, Tunbridge Wells, which is where I grew up, and that's the first time I ever saw the console. And a mate, as I arrived at the pub, excitedly coming up to me, I was probably busy trying to buy a beer, and he goes, mate, you have to see this game. You will absolutely love it. Because we're all into Street Fighter 2 at the time, and Mortal Kombat just took it to the next level, you know, with the gore I, and the I, photographics and, yeah. I, I Street Fighter, I never really liked Street Fighter 2 that much, but I like Mortal Kombat. I like I don't know. I don't know why I like Michael, Mortal Kombat over Street Fighter 2. It's yeah. not, I don't, is it, is it just the violence? Is it, is it just <laughs> the, the violence and the, is it because everything's kind of rotoscoped? I don't know if rotoscope's the right technology for it, but it, I know you something mean, about though. it is much better. It is. I like oh, it, it much is. better. It's it's Mortal more Kombat is more of the well, it, it's more of the superhero of the fighting genre. It's less about technique and combos and more. Well, back in the day, now it's all about combos. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's an easier to play game. Then maybe that's not why. saying maybe that's, that's the reason, but yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I'm I'm no good at Street Fighter Two, so maybe that's it. My problem with both of them is I can do fireballs in Street Fighter Two with Ryo and Ken. So when I play Mortal Kombat, I can only play characters that use that same down sweep and across. <laughs> if they don't have a special move linked to that, I'm, I'm lost. It's not, it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, Mega Drive Outrun is another game that stood out in the book. They've got a lovely bit of poster art from Outrun. And that's one of the best ports until you get onto the Saturn, I think, is it? Which is pretty much almost arcade perfect. The Mega Drive port is fantastic for Outrun. Um, really good way of playing the arcade version in the home. Anyway, look, this is it's a shame that this hasn't made it to a print release um, as this really does look like a really nice quality title. Um, and again, dodging any legal discussion, but, and I'm going to carefully choose my words again here, it's currently, at time of recording, available for free download. So do grab it. Um, and thanks to Retro Comp for letting us know about it. 
So on to the community question of the week. Um, it's been a hot topic the past week, which of course is what we expected. Thank you very much for everyone who submitted an opinion um, on the ST Amiga <laughs> issue. And uh, Duncan has put it there. He said, I will take this out quickly and then run for cover. Which is better, the Amiga or the Atari ST and why? Now, I thought it would be a good idea to run a poll on Twitter uh, to find out what people think is the best. And with the, it's the, the poll still has a little bit of time left to run, but as, as of recording now, 62.3% of people have voted for the Atari ST on Twitter. So the Atari ST is the winner. What were the options on the poll, Dave? Now, you mentioned you'd done something on a spreadsheet, what, what, Chris. What, what were was the that? options on the poll, Dave? The Atari ST. And what was the other option? The, the Atari ST. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, shall we, see what the, shall we see what the listeners had to say, and then we'll talk about the stats that I drew from, from the listeners' comments. Shall we go there? Let's do that. Sure, sure. Okay. All right. So, um, I'll start with the first one, which is from DJ Hoffman, who who makes a point. I think a few people have made this, and he says neither they are both rubbish copies of the Sharp X sixty eight thousand. They came out before it, so they're not rubbish. They're not rubbish copies of it. But yeah, I get his point. I mean, start, if you're going to go for a a sixty eight a Motorola sixty eight thousand based machine, then the the, the Sharp is, the, is obviously the king. Uh, and Salem says. They're also both massive improvements on the Mac, so You've 10 points right. to him for getting that dig in. Yeah. Um, shall we go up with the next one, uh, Brent? Well, I'm going to jump down a little bit and look at I am Amiga's comment, which is uh, much like the first oh, one. Oh, we're changing the rules. Oh, um, yeah. 114 Acorn, episodes in, it's all changing. <laughs> yeah, it's all gone. Um, Acorn Archimedes. He's right. He's <laughs> actually right. It's not you being a coward, Brent. You don't want to say anything in case people attack you. Oh, no. If you remember, back in episode 142, we covered this exact topic, Atari ST yes. versus Amiga yeah, I 500. I do remember, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I'll tell you, from my perspective, it all depends on what year you're looking at. Hmm. And that's uh, the right answer, yeah. And uh, uh, I enjoy them both. I was lucky enough to be young enough not to pick a side unlike the uh nintendo uh genesis <laughs> wars that came to follow so i can enjoy both with no guilt at all yeah cool. i mean my view is if you if you're looking to buy a home computer in the late 80s the atari st is the best choice if you're looking to buy one from kind of 1990 onwards uh, for a few years then the amiga is the best one um and that, that's it, really. Uh, they're both they're both good. I mean, but uh, yeah, but it's a lot of fun to do this. So Richard Shears, that was the second uh, top answer, and he says, as an Amiga owner, Rich, I've read ahead in my head, and I'm not reading your answer out because it doesn't go the right direction. Let's move on. No, okay, I'll read. Well, we'll read it out. He says, as an Amiga <laughs> owner and fan, my answer is obvious. Yep, it's the ST. <laughs> no, I'm not just siding with Dave. I'm recounting my thoughts when I originally got my Amiga. The ST games were better in the early days. Did Rich True. get a knock on the head? Did he have a knock on the head this week or something? Anyway. He's just been honest. No, I don't know. I think he's been knocked. I'm worried about Rich now. Um, anyway, he says, and the game I really wanted was Dungeon Master, uh, which was first released on the ST. And I had True. to wait uh, for what felt like an age um, for that to final, finally come out on the Amiga. Although, in all honesty, I would not choose between them. 
uh, much as I like my, my 8-bit era playground conversation, each platform has its strengths and games that were better on that machine. And I was happy with uh, when my friends had C64s and Spectrums with me having an Amstrad CPC because we would go around each other's houses and play the games which were better on that platform. That's fantastic. And it was a great time, he says. Um, sadly, however, when it came to Amiga slash ST in our little town, nobody owned an ST, so I missed out on that part. My first mag was the ST slash Amiga format. You mentioned that earlier, Dave. Um, And therefore, um, that was how I would see what was available on the ST versus Amiga. And during that period, the ST was undoubtedly the best platform for games. Yes, the tide turned by late 89. I'd agree with you there, Rich. Um, And I was happy with my choice. Yeah, so he just goes on there and he apologizes to me. I think you should. Um, So there we go. (laughs) Fair enough. Next one is from STFM, so I wonder which way he's going to go. And he says, the Atari ST, because it was superior from a design point of view, it's one of the most beautiful systems of all time. The wedge shape, the angled function keys, the slanted mesh grill, the matching slanted indicator lights and disc eject button, the logo, the peripherals match to monitors, mouse, external hard drive, just a wonderful looking machine. Yeah, I don't think anyone. Mm. I don't think anyone thinks different to that. There, no, it's true. It's absolutely a beautiful machine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Should it's we keep a, going, Chris? It was only if you want. Um, I just want to throw in. It was only very recently that I learned the true history that essentially they were the same machine, and then you have the whole you know fight for who actually bought the Amiga in terms of Atari and the, Commodore switch the, sweeping in with a check up. at the end of the day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they ended up in the same place, but when mm. in 1985, when the ST and the Amiga were released, they were pitching pitched very, very differently. Yeah. The Amiga was more than twice the price to, to get a, an Amiga package of a of an RGB monitor, the Amiga itself, um, and that you, you needed the memory expansion up to 512k in the Amiga. To get that, it was more than twice the price of the Atari ST with a color monitor. Mm. So they're very different packages. They're pitched very differently. The Amiga was a desktop format, whereas the, the ST was a wedge format. And they were very differently. It's only when the Amiga 500 came out and then when they reduced the price, it's only then when they became competitive. And as soon as they became price competitive, the Amiga was the better option. Yeah. But until then, until then, I don't think you can discount the Atari ST because until mm. then, the Amiga wasn't. Uh, if you, if you wanted to, to get a, a, a package, you would have to buy the Amiga and then buy games, and you'd be miles above what the cost of the ST was. So yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. And the other side of that is when you look back in history, uh, if you're just looking for the best system of the of the late '80s, early '90s, that really discounts how far Atari ST had to push to get as far as they did. I mean, obviously, they fell off when the more powerful hardware came on the market. What does it? Uh, mm. And it's unfortunate for people who are so stuck in their mindset that I'll only play Amiga. And mm. thankfully, as as people age and mature, that th- those feelings usually go away. But I still know people that are you know won't pick up a Sega controller because they don't think there's anything there for them. Uh, mm. If you oh. are an Amiga guy, pick up an ST, play some of their stuff. You'll be mm. amazed. Yeah. And the good thing, uh, this isn't a dig, but the ST is a lot cheaper to collect right now because the Amiga prices have gone stupid. And saying that as an Amiga fan, yeah. 
they they have gone yeah. absolutely stupid. Um, it's, it's an old obsolete machine. Let's let's call it what it is. Yeah. Um, and the collector's gone crazy. And the ST doesn't seem to have gone that. You know, you can quite easily pick up one. So it's a good one to just the, experience. The thing with the the problem with the ST is that um, games that were good on the ST, games that were really um, that sold the system on the ST, they almost all of them eventually got a port to the Amiga. So yeah. like Rich said, Dungeon Master yeah. came out in the ST. It sold phenomenal volumes. And then I think 18 months later or something, it came out for the Amiga. But it doesn't matter now that it came out 18 months later. You can pick up an ST or an Amiga and you can play Dungeon Master on it. It doesn't matter when it came out. And there's a few games like Oys and so on that didn't come out on the Amiga. But for the most part, the Amiga can do what the ST can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if it, if it was good enough, it eventually got the port to it. Mm-hmm. And of course... These days, the the price advantage of the ST um, is maybe maybe what would make you collect the, the real hardware on the ST because it's the same as it was back in the day. You can get an you can get an ST much cheaper than you can get an Amiga. Um, mm. Yeah, there true. We go. Yeah, cool. Well, I did take some time going through all the answers Here earlier, we go. Dave, and Here we I go. just I just wanted to tally up a score. Um, and you know uh, what? Did you I notice was, that the top answers were all ST? Did no, you I did. That? And as I was putting these in the spreadsheet, um, I was actually quite worried about the way this was going to go. And <laughs> and I'll be honest, what I did was I did this very balanced. So there's a lot of answers in there when people have either been too nice to say what they really think and therefore it comes out even, or they've genuinely said, well, there's pros and cons for both and therefore it comes <laughs> out even. So where that happened, and there's a lot of answers like that, I've given both a score okay does that make sense so it's only if it's mm-hmm. clearly this person likes the amiga that the amiga got a point by itself and same mm-hmm. for the st and scrolling down and i put the archimedes in there as well because that got one score because uh, <laughs> i thought that was funny the st got 15 points by my maths which are not always mm-hmm. great the amiga 19 <laughs> it was so close. How so many points close. would the ST get if I counted it? <laughs> it? It might be the other way around. Look, anyway, let's move on. This week's question of the week. <laughs> this week's question of the week, um, going back to the um, the Star Trek story, if there's an old game that you think would benefit from a modern interface, or even more interesting, stealing an interface from another game, then what would it be and why? Nice. Cool. So, yeah, do head over to the subreddit. Give us your answers on that on this week's question of the week. And thank you all for listening. And, Brent, excellent to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And good yeah. to see you again as Sorry. well. Go on. Sorry that Neil couldn't be here this week. Neil, Neil is Neil is uh, snowed under at the moment. He'll be missing next week as well, but he he will be back in two weeks' time. Um, so thank you for tuning in, and um, we will see you next week. And Rich, I hope your head gets better. Okay, bye. <laughs> St. Amiga. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. 
Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.